environment. Everyone, welcome to the Air Environment Podcast. She's the environmental scientist, Aaron Schott. And he's the urban pastor, Jamin Bradley. And we still introduce each other instead of ourselves, because that makes sense. All right. Yes. On the agenda today is something about carbon. So Always I will turn it over to Aaron to explain what that means. Who is standing up right now? <laughs> yup, because I injured myself like an old lady. Your bet- husband said she threw out her back trying to get out of bed. Uh, that's Classic not true. I bent down to pick up to a do. sweatshirt. <laughs> it's not better. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Sorry. She bent down to pick up a sweatshirt and threw out her back. Like the old, ancient, 32-year-old human being that I truly am. Oh, yes, it's been a long week. So instead of laying in bed and doing this, I've decided to stand because it's better for my (laughs) self-esteem. Well, uh, we won't tell anyone. It's a podcast. They can't. Oh, no, we already. Sorry. All right. Continue then. (laughs) Sorry. I broke. It's fine. I've been telling everybody at work who would listen because it's just like so funny to me. Uh, So today I'm going to talk about a couple of things and they both have to do with... um, carbon uh fixation so if you're not aware uh carbon fixation is basically the amount of carbon that's like trapped in stuff like it's big with trees because the fixed amount of carbon you have in wood it stays there and then when you cut down the tree all that carbon's released to the atmosphere so uh, i found it really interesting today because i was doing a little background uh for for this and then yesterday you guys had that big talk about uh the mission of christianity and kind of making it like heaven on earth you know like eden you know Mm -hmm. so logically my first thought was about tree planting (laughs) logically let's just be clear that that was the logical thing that came to your mind first. Yeah, obviously. I mean, if everybody has to think immediately about tree planting and like carbon sinks and like not sinks, yeah, carbon sequestration is cool. But in that process, I learned about like the Great Lakes and how they contribute to that. So I'm going to start off talking about it as kind of like a hey, here's some good news tidbit and then we can talk more about tree planting. So so I how went fun! To the Great Lakes yesterday. Did you really? Yeah. Which one? Lake Michigan. I love Lake Michigan. Took the kids there to walk on waves. Just Aww. throwing that one in for free. Okay, continue. That's so great. Uh, so if you don't know, <laughs> a little background on the Great Lakes. They're also known as the Laurentian Great Lakes because apparently there's other Great Lakes, like the African Great Lakes. So. More than 50% of all fresh water on Earth is contained in 11 lakes. So, 
of the Earth's water, 3% of that is fresh water. And of that 3%, 50% is contained in 11 lakes. And of that 3%, 21% of that is the Great Lakes alone. So we, and those are five of us. <laughs> yes, those are five lakes. Even so though five it's lakes just contained. one giant body of water. Is There's nothing cutting those off from each other, right? Uh, not really, no, there's rivers. It's called the Great Lakes Water Basin because they're okay. all connected. Uh, sometimes Lake Huron and Lake Michigan is actually considered one lake. They call it Lake Michigan Huron <laughs> because there's only like a small five mile, like a small strait that connects them and it's five miles wide. So it's basically a lake. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say I've lived here my whole life, but... I never fully understood what our dividing lines were between <laughs> one giant piece of water. So so most of the other ones are connected through like rivers, like a small river system. But uh, specifically, those two lakes are connected like through just a giant like body <laughs> of water. Um, so they're an extremely important like resource of fresh water on Earth. Uh, and like that's why people in Michigan are so protective of them, because we know how much fresh water is contained in them. And also they're very pretty and I like them. <laughs> Unless you go at the wrong time of year and there's just dead fish everywhere. That, that's very true. Uh, sometimes I did go in the winter, but I could always get snacks in South Haven. So I was never mad. Uh, the Great Lakes Water Basin is also shared by Canada. And all the lakes are connected either directly or indirectly. Or either directly, like I just said, or through rivers. But, uh, in fact, did you know that there's only one lake that is entirely owned by the United States because they have to share every other lake with Canada? Which one? Lake Michigan? Lake Michigan. Because yeah, <laughs> it doesn't touch the rest, yeah. Yeah, it's completely encompassed. That's why we call it Lake Michigan. None of the rest yes. of you can have this, right? So, like I said, there are 11 lakes, and a recent where the 11 lakes were part of a recent study from researchers at Michigan Tech called Carbon Fixation Trends in 11 of the World's Largest Lakes from 2003 to 2018. So, it's like almost two decades of research. And the study looked at how the lakes absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and how their ability to do so has changed over the last two decades. So what I found really interesting was is that I didn't know the lakes were carbon sinks. Like you just think of the like, oh, a body of water, completely useless, right? When you say the word carbon sink for the rest of us, uh, a carbon sink is where a place where carbon dioxide is absorbed from the atmosphere and it stays there. Okay. Since you said sink and you were talking about water, I didn't know if it was just like a fancy word for a lake. <laughs> no, it's like. Uh, basically, people tend to use carbon sink and carbon sequestration almost interchangeably. So it's just carbon sinks are they're being pulled, and then sequestration is when they're kept. Gotcha. So they they absolutely like take carbon from the atmosphere, and I had no idea because I was just like, oh, they're lakes. Uh, so apparently, the lakes are filled with something called phytoplankton, which are tiny algae that photosynthesize or you know make energy from sunlight. Uh, part of photosynthesis is carbon fixation it's where inorganic carbon dioxide is converted into an organic compound so it's not like bad for the atmosphere and the amount of phytoplankton and the rate they photosynthesize to give the carbon fix rate of a body of water like a lake so estimating phytoplankton primary production can indicate how much carbon dioxide the algae pulls from the air 
it just like blows my mind <laughs> honestly but the study ultimate show ultimately showed that as far as the Laurentian Great Lakes so our body of Great Lakes that Michigan inhabits there's been zero change in productivity over the last two decades <laughs> which is great to hear because the lakes have experienced like extreme high levels of water and extreme low levels of water like they're they've been up mad over the last like two decades and the fact that the carbon sink still hasn't changed like it might not be sure in the future but right now that's really good news because the last thing you want is when water is evaporating you're going to have less in there you would think and you're going to be like containing less carbon and then you're releasing that carbon in the atmosphere but they're not they're staying the same and that is some good news on the environment front (laughs) (laughs) good good to know the study did find that one lake was um had declined but two other lakes had improved and those two lakes that had improved were in canada so go figure (laughs) it's cold stealing all of our michigan lakes just kidding (laughs) just steals all the lakes uh, which brings me to my next point. And uh, I I really want to talk about, so you guys were talking about how it's to bring, like, make heaven on earth. And when I imagine that, I imagine, like, you know, the Garden of Eden with, like, lots of trees and, like, plants. So that's why I immediately thought of tree planting, like, almost immediately. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. It's fine, it's uh, fine. It would match the biblical perspective of full circle back to Eden. Yes. But also, side note, when you were talking about your uh space D&D race that you had of uh trees, so I have a short book that I'm writing that I will literally never publish. Um that <laughs> has an alien race that are actually leaf creatures. Nice. So they're just like really flat and they photosynthesize to get all their energy. So instead of like having to use resources on the planet to like build stuff, they just spend all of their time and energy like thinking about science. <laughs> so they're just like Fair enough. They're like inner like not internationally, they're universally, I guess, the universally renowned like scientists because I I can't help myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> Why wouldn't you share that with the rest of the world, Aaron? <laughs> oh, no, because I don't do well with criticism. <laughs> no, it was an indie author myself. People won't read it. You just share it anyways. <laughs> share it anyways. Uh, well, then you don't the- get criticism. Nobody's <laughs> read it to, to insult you. You just share it. You just share it. Here, read. No, okay. <laughs> It works for everybody. So when we're talking about creating the heaven on earth, and we've said on the podcast before, like, if we, when God comes back, we want him to look at this place and be like, it's so beautiful. I don't have to put as much work in it to make it heaven, you know? Uh, And tree planting is considered like the center of the environmental movement. Um, But is it a good thing to do on a global scale? Because, you know, you always hear about, Oh, well, I sent this package and to offset, like, the amount of carbon, I planted some trees. Or or do I just hear about that? Is that not a thing you hear about? 
we talked about it on the podcast a few weeks ago, so I have heard about it. Oh, perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's why I was talking about carbon sinks to begin with, because one of the best carbon sinks on the planet is peat. So peat is an accumulation of partially decayed vegetation or organic matter. It is uh, unique to natural areas called peatlands, bogs, mire, moors, or muskegs. Uh, so the UK, where I am, has an estimated 3 million hectares, and it's more in acres, and I don't know how many acres it is, but believe me, it's a lot. Uh, so they have 3 million hectares of peat, and that stores about 3,000 million tons of carbon. So to get an idea of how much carbon that is, that's 20 times more carbon than the whole of the UK's forest biomass. It's so much carbon. However, peat is extremely slow going. It takes about 500 years of accumulation for that much carbon storage. So that's a really long time. So yeah. it's important to protect peatlands. And one of the big issues here is people often extract peat because it's full of really good nutrients because it's like all that decayed vegetation, right? So they extract peat and then they use it for um, gardening. So they'll put it in compost that you can purchase or like on a wider scale, they'll use it on farms. And that's an issue because you've just destroyed 500 years of accumulation of carbon and you've released it into the atmosphere. And the only way to get that back is to restore it and then wait another 500 years. So it's like in an instant, you've just destroyed so much. But the good that it does just sitting there as carbon itself is. Uh, P is, uh, it's a very essential like habitat for okay. lots of invertebrates, birds there, lots of wildflowers that you wouldn't see. Like um, peatlands are home to something called Mars saxifrage, which are, is very endemic to Scotland itself. So you're not going to find it anywhere else. Um, you might also come across uh, the Scottish primrose, which is only found in the north of Scotland. It's not found anywhere else in the world. Um, and it's a little little flower, like this, little, this big, and it's purple. And you're not going to find it anywhere except northern Scotland, which is the majority of where our peatlands are contained. Gotcha. I'm just checking because I'm trying to think, you know, a bunch of dirt sitting around for 500 years. If you... Well, that's an excellent question, though, because to you, that's just a bunch of dirt sitting around, right? So you see an open field and you think, oh, it's an open field. I can build, plant trees here. But actually, that's meadow. And there's a variety of wildflowers, like small rodents live there. Um, mm -hmm. Birds, like small birds that will only dwell in fields will live there. So it's an essential habitat. But because we're not well-versed in like different habitat types and their importance and so planting trees is just like jar like hammered into us so constantly we don't think about the possible damage we could be doing by just tree planting and the uk has actually been in a lot of trouble about this because their forestry commission has been planting trees on peat bogs <laughs> for hmm. many years and they've just recently been like yeah we've done some like a lot of destruction just by doing this yeah, no, it's just interesting to think about because normally you think of tree planting as good. You think of recycling your compost, which if Pete is similar in a sense of like, hey, there's good soil that we could use to further other things where you're 
those things sound environmental when in fact you're also hurting the environment by doing it so it's just a interesting catch-22 i guess yeah it's one of those things where you definitely have to think about um knowledge is the most important thing so a lot of times people will just send out a single message without putting out more information about it and tree planting is it is important so uh trees provide like like up to three quarters of the world's plants and animals of oxygen uh they soak up carbon they provide fuels and medicines they're they're essential to life on earth so we need them and the amazon is called like the earth's lungs for a reason because it provides so much oxygen for the rest of the planet and forests are fast fast disappearing so it's essential to rebuild those forests um i think right now the uk government has like like this 30 by 30 thing so they want 30 percent of their land covered covered by forests by the year 2030 so they've got a little under they've got what nine years to cover more with like forests but like that's not just like planting trees like a forest is several different things um so when i was in norway the person i was traveling with saw all of these forests around but then he also saw on the side of mountains they had farms and he was like oh my gosh you could cut down all of these trees and just plant farms here and i was like okay well that's bad because then all the trees will be gone and then he's like well they can just plant trees somewhere else and uh forest is not just a bunch of trees it's there's there's lower plants which are really essential to a functioning forest ecosystem where like fungi you need like ferns you need flowers you need like the birds and the insects like there's so much happening in one small ecosystem that just like cutting trees down and saying oh i'll just replant some it's not great unless it's a working forest like you told me for when the publish the publishing which you've mentioned several times where they constantly like this is what it does this piece of land is only used for this Mm -hmm. So you're not taking away essential habitat. You're just constantly reusing habitat. So you're not like using up what you're doing. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's not necessarily about planting trees. It's about planting trees in the right places. So you can easily destroy a habitat. Like I mentioned, like a meadow or the peat bogs or literally anything (laughs) that Hmm. houses like important organisms, but then also holds carbon. Um, so like it like planting a new forest can be seen as highly complex and in order to make sure we do more good than harm there are 10 agreed upon rules for tree planting that scientists have put out there which is exciting um because like there's so many places around the world that are trying to plant trees like i just mentioned the 30 by 30 there's an african-led movement to plant like a 5,000 mile forest wall to fight the climate crisis and this forest wall is set to become the largest living structure on earth like three times the size of the great barrier reef massive although i don't know how big the great barrier reef is but it's great and it's big so boom probably big (laughs) we're not going to talk about reefs because they'll make us all sad (laughs) probably big (laughs) Yeah, so scientists have, like, developed and proposed 10, like, rules to follow for tree planting, which I think is really great because it's like, okay, 
we want to help the environment, but we want to figure out how we can do this to help people have the right tools. So we're trying to encourage people to try and recreate forests that are similar to natural forests. That way you, me can reap the benefits and the environment and the nature can reap the benefits. And then we're also capturing carbon because there is carbon. Like we are capturing a lot of carbon in forests and trees. So they are important. Um, so because like I said, it takes 500 years of accumulation for peat. So it does take a long time to accumulate that. And like the phytoplankton in the lakes, well, that's constantly, it's a living structure. It's constantly living and dying. It doesn't live nearly as long as a tree does. So it is releasing it, but being caught by like new phytoplankton, but it's still a process and the trees last longer. Obviously they're like, you hear ancient forests that are like two or 300 years old. So like think Fangorn, but like on this planet. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> I keep forgetting that there's a list that I keep needing to get to, but I keep forgetting about it. So, uh, let's start with number one. And number one is that we need to protect existing forests first. So, keeping forests in their original state is, like, obviously always preferable because, um, undamaged old forests will tend to soak up carbon better and they're also more resilient to like fire and storm and droughts which is why when the Amazon was like people really burning it down to plant farmland it was so stressful because replanting those pieces of rainforest we're never going to be able to do it like as well immediately it's going to take years and years and years to rebuild something that we've lost in an instant so whenever we have a choice we have to try and halt deforestation and protect our forests. Like, that has to be a priority. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, like, it kind of ties into your, like, message about building heaven on Earth. Because, yeah, like, I'm, we're trying to make, like, Eden on Earth. And, like, God, his first, like paradise was a garden full of, like, trees and plants and animals. So I think that I'm not being that far-fetched when I go, maybe we should try that again. <laughs> <laughs> try it a second time, you know? Just do it. Just do it, Jamin. Just do it. I'm doing Just do it. do it. Uh, so our second spot is to put local people at the heart of tree planting projects. So it's completely useless for me to be over here and be, like, trying to drive a tree planting project in Jackson. That makes zero sense. I live in Scotland right now. Um, I can't help you in any way. And, and like studies show that local communities like helping and like being on board with this are the key to success of environmental projects in general. And most often the local people have the most to gain, but they also have the most knowledge of what's going on near them. So instead of like trying to come in and take the reins and say, I'm going to do this here we should be helping those people, listening to those people, and, like, making them improve their own community as opposed to just somebody coming in and doing it for them. Because um, they're not going to maintain it if they don't feel like they have a connection to it. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, the same for almost anybody. So, like, when you're, like, ministering to people, you want to minister people close to you. It's way easier. Like, mission trips are good, and they have a place. However... 
it's better if you've built a connection to a person as opposed to coming in for a couple of weeks, doing a thing, and leaving. Obviously very important. I'm not saying people shouldn't do missions trips. But I am saying that, you know. Yeah. Well, you'll spiral me down a long path, so I'll try not to go too far down it. But (laughs) (laughs) There's a book called Slow Church. It's really, really good. Uh, I think anyone in ministry should read it, but it does make a point about being local you know some churches have pastors driving in from like an hour away which even i did as a worship leader for a while at a church and i never was able to really connect with the community there because i'm only in Mm -hmm. town for like two hours once a week and um whereas like this has actually been a conversation me and jody have had a lot just pastoring at 1208 she's a country girl i've lived in all areas but i'm more of a city person um, but like, it's been especially important to me pastoring at 1208 to live in the community that I'm serving. Otherwise right. it's a lot of just some guys showing up to try to help you in your area and instead of being local and missions trips in general, as you say, they are good, but they also have taught us that mission is somehow out there. Evangelism's out there. Social right work is out there when in fact the whole biblical concept is right here in our area um you can do a lot of good coming in from typically have to be brought in to help us understand but Mm -hmm. that's not relational and that doesn't even necessarily get us interested in what we're doing until we own it ourselves when someone else owns it for us i don't know I don't know. Like, like, okay, I'm almost off my soapbox. Like, no, <laughs> I've been to a church in Jackson that has brought in some other speakers, and they did a thing that is common in more charismatic circles where I was coming and I just thought, you know, in order to understand who I was preaching to, I'd do some research on it and see what God might want to say. And like all of them, the same thing. You know, it's just like, you, you have one of Michigan's prisons in your city. Your town is, is, you know, dominated by blah, 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 you know, whatever. And I'm, I'm standing on sidelines like, wait, first off, don't you tell me about my city. This is my city. You don't live here. You know, like, don't come and tell me that we're overrun by spiritual darkness because we have a prison. Secondly, like, that's like kind of on the outskirts of town, <laughs> you know, like right, it's barely it even in, a thought. <laughs> yeah, and it brings in people from like across Michigan. It's not necessarily representative of the Jackson population. So like anyways, that's an example of like when someone else comes in and tells you about your own stuff, you're like, shut up. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Like like I'm like, I understand this area like better. And, I lived uh, here for nine and a half years. Don't tell me what we're like. So that kind of thing. So there is a benefit. Absolutely. And like, I completely understand Joe's point of view because I'm a country girl myself. Absolutely hate living next to people. Um, but country communities also have like a nice close knitness of them. But also they all live near each other. And that's like you being a pastor in an inner city church or an urban church is important to be in that urban urban part so you you can you you are part of that local community and you have a lot to gain from those people and their experiences and vice versa and that has like very similar to tree planting like you have to have people who are there who are on board with it because 
the success of it lives and dies with the people locally wanting to see this through. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, our next point here is to maximize biodiversity recovery to meet multiple goals. So what that means is uh, biodiversity is basically like the how many different types of like plants and animals and whatever you have. Um, so when you're reforesting an area, you should have several goals. And one of those is to have a bunch of plants to have maximum biodiversity. But you're also trying to guard against climate breakdown. Uh, you're trying to improve the conservation. You're trying to provide economic and cultural benefits to the area. Like, don't just plant trees to offset your carbon. Plant trees provide lots of things. Like I said, really old forests are really resistant against drought. And so if we're planting like a good forest, it should also be resistant to those things. And that comes into selecting the right area for reforestation. Like I've said before, plant trees in areas that are historically forested but have become degraded. So don't look for other natural habitats such as species-rich grasslands or wetlands because there's already something there. You want to find an area where it used to be and that you can improve and help it and not like shove in where you're not supposed to be. Another really great (laughs) analogy that we've just kind of talked about. Like, Mm -hmm. don't butt in. Go where you need to be. (laughs) Yep. Just do it. Uh, Use natural forest regrowth wherever possible so like letting trees grow back naturally is actually cheaper and more efficient than planting trees because you're not tearing up dirt and plants to put trees down and those trees will naturally pop up and they'll have their own like selection you know when like in a forest trees will drop their seeds or their pine cones and then they'll be competing for sunlight so some trees will fall and then other trees will grow so but they're doing that in conjunction and in What's the word I'm looking for? Not conjunction. Yeah, conjunction. In conjunction with all the other plants around them. So what needs to grow around it will grow. Uh, that's why lots of forests have cycles of dominant uh, plant of tree species. So uh, Michigan has a lot of old growth pine forests. However, those trees, they do have a lifespan. It's a very old lifespan, but it's a lifespan. Those trees are dying. But what's coming up is not more pine. It's old, like slow growing hardwoods, like oak. So that that's become the next generation of forests will be a different type of forest. It'll just be natural. It's still pretty resistant. So that's interesting. <laughs> if you didn't know that. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm just soaking it in right now. Yeah. If you ever are in northern Michigan, go to some of the old growth pine forests up there. They are immaculate. I do love them. <laughs> like, I just, they're great. They're some of my favorite places. Um, selecting the right tree species can maximize biodiversity. So when we're talking about tree planting, picking the right trees are so important. So a lot of people here in Scotland really hate um, a specific type of pine that's not local at all. Um, It's called Sitka spruce and it's actually an invasive tree, but it's used by the forestry, a lot of forestry, because it's fast growing and it's softwood. So basically they take it when it's softwood, it only grows for like 10 years. It grows really tall. They chop it down and normally with hardwood, you'll just like get nice, nice planks. But with softwood, what they do is actually turn it into pulp and then they use that pulp to build things. So a lot of like Ikea tables are built of this like softwood. You know, when you like peel back the tape and it's all like 
little bitty diced up pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Okay. Uh, but but people now want like slow going growing like forest hardwood because it takes longer, but your payoff is better because when you build stuff out of hardwood, it will last longer as opposed to stuff built out of softwood. Uh, so you want like a mixture of tree species. So you don't want just hardwood because then you're not going to get all the, all the species that you want because sometimes you want some softwood. It's very, it's a lot. But so including some rare species and then other trees of economic importance are important, but you need to avoiding trees like the Sitka spruce that might become invasive. So it's really like, and that's where the local community is so important because a lot of people, I don't know about you, but my grandparents love to tell me about all of the trees in their area. When I worked for the USDA and I was talking, I worked on the Emerald Ash Borer Project, they constantly told me about the ash trees and then all the maple trees and all the types of trees that they usually have. So just talking to the local community about what trees they're used to seeing, probably a lot of old timers, you'll know what necessarily needs to be there and what doesn't. I'm not going to bring in a bunch of Norwegian pine <laughs> unless I'm a tree Christmas tree farm. I've talked a lot about pine trees today for some reason. Uh, so you want to make sure these trees are also resilient to adapting to climate change. So maybe not planting a big forest full of ash. Probably not great because of all the ash dieback and then also, you know, all the invasives that are attacking it. So you just have to pick like suitable local climate and how that might be change in the future. For instance, Spring Arbor's got those trees in front of where Muffet used to be. Mm-hmm. Those aren't local. The ones that smell bad. The fish trees. The fish trees, yes. The ones that smell like fish, yes. Yes. Professor Jaworski hated those trees because not only do they smell terrible and they have like one good aesthetic, but they also smell bad when they look nice. They're not native to Michigan. And he constantly talked about how they weren't native and how they were bad for the campus. So try to find stuff that's native. Obviously, we have one, I think, on our block. I there's the some smell. here. Like, I just, like, it, there's something about them. I don't know where they're from, but they smell terrible, and I hate them. I'm just like, They look all tree. right. They just smell bad. So bad. I don't think it's worth I don't think it's worth it. I don't think how pretty they look with the flowers is worth my time and smell. Yep. They're so Agreed. terrible. Plan ahead. So, like, we're talking about we have to figure out where to get our trees from. A lot of issues come in when you're buying stuff with nurseries. Are these locally grown? Where did they come from? A lot of the issues that Europe has with their trees is because what they did a lot of the times is they would buy them from from the states. <laughs> so this is a really funny thing about, I can't remember what specific tree it is, but there was a fungus that was attacking trees in Europe. And then they sold those trees to America. And in America, the fungus actually mutated and became a hundred times worse. And then the Europe knew about it and they still bought those trees and brought that back to Europe. And now they have a massive problem with these trees all dying because the trees in the States developed a resistance and it made this 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 fungus a hundred times worse. But plan ahead. Like look where you're sourcing <laughs> your trees. Working with locals That's again. <laughs> Learn, learn by doing so like you want to do some like small scale trials before you like build a forest like don't maybe plant 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 like 10 trees before you plant like 200 
you know, do, do good. So my final point is that you need to make it pay. You need to make that your sustainability of replanting, uh, you need that a source for like a benefit to everyone from your like rich to your poor. So it can't just be for a niche part of it. You need to make sure everybody can benefit from it. Uh, because uh, ultimately we share this planet together and if we're not all benefiting from like our efforts then what's the point uh and i think uh eden would be like that so for sure make 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 earth eden make it do it <laughs> and that's a point i can get behind again you know into the Bible shows Eden coming back. So I think anything that matches Eden, may it be morality or environment, like those make sense as things that we should be pursuing on our way towards the ultimatum. So agreed. No, absolutely. Oh, excuse me. And, Sorry, uh, yeah, I'm ready for pizza. I think. <laughs> Oh, that sounds really good. Eat four pieces for me. I will. Don't you guys have like French fries as your side in Scotland? Yes, it is so weird. Nobody eats breadsticks with their pizza. It's always fries. I'm like, I would no. S- it does sound weird to us, but honestly, like we're a bunch of idiots here when it comes to pizza like can i have bread before i have bread with cheese on it even better can i upgrade my bread appetizer to get bread with cheese on it before i eat bread with cheese with sauce on it like we're the stupid ones let's be honest that's like when you get the jets bread and it's got bacon on it and then you have dipping sweet sauce on the side it's just stupid it makes no sense like but i love it do-it-yourself pizza before I eat my other pizza. That's all it is. It's idiotic, but I will stand behind it to my death. So. Oh, for sure. Like I'm like, mm, breadsticks are better. Like, 100%. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, with that, that brings us to the end of today's episode of the Air Environment. And uh, we will catch you guys in about two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, check out the Jackson Cloud to stay up to date with this and some of the other connections we're talking about jackson cloud jx in cloud the episode aaron was mentioning was yesterday what is the mission of christians so you can check that one out check it out yeah and uh we will catch you there and here if not elsewhere and we'll see you then